with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for checking in to Phronesis. And today I have a longtime friend, and I'm excited for this conversation. I have Ethan Braden, and he is the Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing and Communication Officer at Purdue University and Purdue Global. Ranked as one of the top 10 most innovative schools in America by U.S. News and World Report for four consecutive years, Ethan leads the system in the persistent pursuit of the next giant leap by passionately positioning, promoting, and protecting the Purdue brand, and portfolio worldwide. In October 2021, Fast Company Magazine selected Purdue University as one of its inaugural Brands That Matter, a list honoring companies and organizations that authentically communicate their mission and ideals and give people compelling reasons to care about them, according to Fast Company editors. The only university and the only Indiana entity named a brand that matters, Purdue was selected alongside Nike, 3M, McDonald's, Ford, Yeti, and other large multinational conglomerates, small companies, and nonprofits. In 2020, the American Marketing Association recognized Ethan as a Marketer of the Year and Purdue University's Central Marketing and Communications Team as Team of the Year, both for higher education. He has appeared in Fast Company Magazine, The Washington Post, Ad Age, The Heckinger Report, and The Morning Brew. Ethan has spoken at Google Marketing Live and Salesforce's Dreamforce, as well as appeared on numerous podcasts related to brand management, marketing, and higher education. 
Ethan teaches personal branding to student athletes at Purdue University's Optimizing Personal Brand and Image class, an innovative partnership between Purdue School of Management and Purdue Athletics prompted by NIL. Previous to Purdue, Ethan worked for Eli Lilly and Company for a decade, where he served in a variety of senior marketing and sales leadership roles in the United States and globally building, launching, and managing some of Lilly's and the pharmaceutical industry's most successful and life-changing billion-dollar brands. Ethan earned his MBA from the University of Notre Dame and his bachelor degree from Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. Ethan lives in West Lafayette, Indiana with his wife, Betsy, their son, Benjamin, and their daughter, Margaret. Ethan, sir, what else do people need to know about you? What's not on? Uh, what's not in that bio that we just said? What, what, <laughs> I'm not what? sure anything's missing. <laughs> I'm just a big admirer of Professor Allen, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> well, Ethan, I'm so excited for this conversation. And, and really, when it, it kind of sparked me, I was like, wow, I need to get I need to get Ethan on the podcast because when I, and I said this to you in that call that we had a few weeks ago, kind of prepping this discussion. When I think of you, I just the words lifelong learning just really it's like a billboard. I just so appreciate how you're consistently posting on LinkedIn, how you're consistently sharing with others what you're learning. And so when we talked about, okay, where do we take the conversation today? I mean, obviously we could go in the direction of marketing and some of your day job, but really I, I want to focus on on this learning piece. You have an undergraduate degree, you have a graduate degree, but you are a voracious consumer. Maybe we start there. I want to eventually get to kind of what are some resources that you found really, really valuable, but let's talk about your passion for learning and how you think about learning. You know, Scotty, I think they're intertwined. Um, the marketing piece of it is just what I've become you know, super interested in over time, but it's the study of people and psychology and behavior change and choice. Yeah. So for me, it's that combo of just curiosity and, and hopefully humility and a commitment to being a lifelong learner. There's a, a wonderful book out maybe the last two years. It's not lifelong learning. It's long life learning by Michelle Weiss at Strata. And, and she just makes some incredible points there of, you know, the first person to live to 150 is, is likely born. And we could be talking about 80 career or 80 year careers at this point. So when you, what you learn at 22 versus what you need to know at 42, especially in marketing, but in any other sp space you want to talk about, versus what I'll need at 62, versus you know what you might be doing at 82 along the way. <laughs> you know, and, the, and the, the average individual who has five to seven careers, if you will, in a lifetime, you know, the idea now is with the free agency, et cetera, it could be 20 to 30. And so on-ramps and off-ramps and making that frictionless to continue to upskill and reskill and learn and gain the knowledge you need to to be successful it's just been a really interesting and important space for me. It has been. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. A couple of years ago, I wrote an article called, you know, on the cutting edge of the chopping block mm. I think for, for each one of us. And, and in academia, at least, there's kind of this impression that as a professor, you are the person at the front of the room who's professing. And I started this class at my institution a few years ago now where it's all about technologies enabling disruption. And really in this instance, I'm kind of facilitating the learning. I'm learning alongside the students. I'm just ensuring that we get to Goodyear to learn about how they're thinking about innovation yeah. or that we get to the Cleveland Clinic so that we can learn mm -hmm. from them how they're thinking about innovation or Sherwin-Williams or Progressive. Because a lot of that expertise is in those those individuals and in those organizations, and I can help facilitate that learning 
But even as I look at higher ed, and as you look at the landscape of higher ed, both of that that space that we are both in, it's shifting. I mean, metaversities. I have a podcast coming up with a gentleman who is starting all of these metaversities or yeah. what's happening at Purdue University Global. I mean, you mm-hmm. better be eyes wide open because it's shifting quickly. It's unbelievable. I like Vala Afshar at, at Salesforce. I think they call him like the chief learning evangelist, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, he talks a ton about the number of roles that didn't exist 10 years ago. And the number of roles that you know people will be doing ten years from now that haven't been invented today. So, you know, what was a social media manager ten years ago or fifteen years ago? What was a U- what was a UX designer ten or fifteen years ago? What was a TikTok star? You know, what the hell was TikTok ten years ago, et cetera? And so, no, I think that that the keen interest in having the curiosity of being humble enough to know that you don't know it all and staying not just intense, but but consistent in the space is so key. And as I think about my staff, you know, I can, we can talk marketing all day long, but if there's one thing I can inspire them and continue to coach and lead them to do is just keep learning Mm. and make us better through their individual contributions, through their team contributions and spaces where, you know, they're, they're going to be far better than I am today. You know, their proficiency, whether it's in Google analytics or it's in TikTok or whatever you, you know, whatever you want to look at social listening, et cetera. I don't know it. They know it. And collectively we're contributing to the realization of the mission of our, our group. So it's so key, Scotty, but so much fun too, right? Like, yeah, you could sit there and, and crush Better Call Saul or or whatever it is you want on television, but, you know, James Clear and <laughs> Tim Ferriss and, you know, people of that sort, I, I just love consuming their stuff and sharing their stuff. Well, let's talk a little bit about something you just said, because I do want to touch, we're going to take a little bit of a detour right now. I do want to touch a little bit on leadership. And, and I think you said something just really, really profound there. You have this humble curiosity that, look, I, I don't I don't know it all. I can't know it all. Things are shifting so quickly. I have to remain humble. I have to remain curious. Probably one of the best things I can do for my team, for the people that I'm leading, is encouraging their learning, encouraging mm-hmm. that they are in that same mindset. Talk a little bit more about that. How does that show up on a day-to-day basis? Because I think it's brilliant. I mean, I'm I'm not blowing smoke when I say I think I learned it from from you and and others at Beta Theta Pi back in the day, which was an early and avid and genuine commitment to professional and personal development. So yeah. we were reading Good to Great when I was 22, right? Yeah, we were talking about Built to Last and the Nordstrom Way and be our guest from Disney and Ritz Carlton, et cetera. At that point in time, trying to consume at that point great customer service, customer experience learnings. You know, there was a commitment to helping folks take that next step in their life. So for us, whether it was MBAs or law degrees, et cetera, we were helping folks prepare for those next steps in their educational journey. And I've tried to not only bring that to Purdue, but I lived that at Lilly as well. I mean, the professional development at Eli Lilly and Company, the, the training ground in marketing and in insights and in management that was there at Lilly was P&G-esque. I mean, it, it just taught me so much. And so I've tried to bring that to Purdue. And we're just avid about making experiences and learnings and now podcasts and tweets and anything else that can be shared for our people, believing that the compound interest of what they bring, the compound interest of what they contribute is what's making us so successful. So um, moreover, I think it's an incredible retention tactic. You know, I think, what is it? Daniel Pink talks around purpose, mastery, and autonomy being three of the contributors to really fulfilling work. And, And part of that is making sure people feel really equipped and empowered to do their jobs really, really well. Yeah. And staying fresh on that is key. So talk a little bit more, Ethan, about how that's actually operationalized in the day-to-day at Purdue. Is it, are we, do we have, you know, 
I, I always talk about how the reason I'm doing what I'm doing was that Bob Cottrell took us through the leadership challenge. And we yeah, read that book exactly. as a team Thursday mornings, I think it was 7am. And we talked about it. And that really sparked my passion for leadership. And you're right, whether it was uh, books by Wooden or Nordstrom or Ritz Carlton. Yeah, we were consuming voraciously a lot of that content to help us develop and grow. How does it operationalize in, in your leadership right now, in your team, is it, are we reading books together? Is it just that there's a budget for people to tap in? Is it just you're promoting it? Is it all of those? How does it play out? Yeah, it's all of those. I mean, I, I think uh, to a couple of things early on, and, and we had the same thing on our staff, if you remember, Scotty, but I remember taking a large amount of our employees, 20 plus to the American Marketing Association in 2019. And when we walked through, you know, we were a novelty because there were so many of us at that time, but I wanted our staff to have that experience. And I wanted our staff to have that experience together. Yes. And then COVID hit, right? And so professional development budgets really went to basically zero, or there was really no way to spend them other than on the things that you could consume at home. So it was online opportunities, et cetera. But for for the lion's share for me was buying books. So there's a lot of organic learning. And I think it's Chip Kelly, if I remember correctly, at Lululemon, who talked about really sort of indoctrinating his staff with his leadership team on four or five key books that over time, two or 3,000 of their employees read together. Mm. And we've tried to do that same thing on our staff. So whether it's The Flywheel by Jim Collins, whether it's Good to Great in the Social Sectors by Jim Collins, whether it's Phil Duesenberry's book, One Great Insight is Worth a Thousand Great Ideas, we have sort of hand-selected books in the marketing discipline, David Ocker's 20 Rules on Branding, Creating Signature Stories by David Ocker as well. We've tried to go out and find texts that when we read together and we consume together, it it creates common knowledge and it creates common language, which is something I learned at Lilly. When we say an insight at Lilly, there was a certain definition for that word. There was a common language that pervaded that community of employees as a result of of referring to the same texts. So we do a fair amount in that space as well. And then I think it's just a, a healthy sort of give and take, curious learning environment of Hey, I read this and thought of you today. I listened to this podcast. I got one today sent to me by somebody else. It's yeah. just that sharing of sort of those common fishing holes for incredible learnings, incredible quotations, incredible analogies that we try to share actively and like, you know, sharpen iron on iron here. You know, when we talk about positioning or we talk about an insight or you talk about a big idea or you talk about a creative brief, you could get 20 different de- definitions. And, yeah. and at Lilly, for the most part, they said, well, this is the one we adopt. This is the one we utilize for these reasons. Yep. And we've tried to do the same thing at Purdue is have a common understanding and a common language, which also is a shortcut of efficiency. When I say insight, I don't have to say another, you know, another 200 words on that topic. You know what I mean by that. Well, and that creates that creates a synergy. And like you said, it creates shared understanding about what it is we're trying to accomplish, where we're going. And it's working. I mean, Ethan, I have not yet told you this. I'm telling you this live in our conversation right now. I was in Denali two weeks ago. And not in Denali. I was at the National Park. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I got to clarify where I was. But I, we're staying in this lodge. And there's this young woman at the lodge. She's wearing a Purdue t-shirt. She's there with her family. She just graduated. And I said, Purdue, I said, my good friend works at Purdue. And I said, you know what? They've been doing some just incredible things. And she said, oh, our social media is incredible. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. 
And and I I thought of you. I'm I'm thinking, wow, I am in Alaska. Here's someone with a Purdue t-shirt on. I mentioned you and that you're in marketing, and she identifies very, very quickly with this pride around that social media. It's awesome. I mean, it has to feel wonderful what you all, with that common understanding, that common language, what you're building and the momentum that's being gained, right? Exactly. No, we're having a blast. You know, I, I've, I think it was David Novak, if I'm correct. I, one of them said everybody's got a mission statement, but uniquely only some places have people on a mission. Yeah. And we've just built a culture of people in their individual functions, on their teams, et cetera, that are on certain missions. And our social media team has just been on fire for the last two and a half years. I'll give you one example that I love. So when we all went home in March of 2020, you know, it was quickly um, realized that instead of campus visits, instead of having people, you know, experience the campus, et cetera, we're all on our couch now. And from March of 2020 to August of 2020, so many universities were just throwing things against the wall to see what sticks as they were trying to essentially close that final freshman class for that fresh or for that August, right? Yep. So we really stuck to our brand and we stuck to the platform that we had just launched six weeks before that, our brand platform. But probably the most important thing we did was we really rethought our YouTube strategy. And we really rethought and unearthed all the greatest video we had. We rebranded it and we put it back out thematically in addition to anything we were creating. And the reason I tell you that is during that period, we upped engagement by 150% versus the, the, the previous period. But more importantly, we had more views on our content than five benchmarked peers during that period combined, which wow. we then replicated again in 21. And we just replicated again in the first half of 22. And I say that to say that, you know, it used to be a nine to five job for some in social media. Now it's darn near 24 hours. Yeah. And a lot of companies, I saw this put out the other day that said, you know, a lot of companies have forgotten the, the social and social media. And that's the truth. We're moving really from the quantity metrics of views and impressions these days to the quality metrics, the quality metrics of engagement. Yeah. It's one thing if you click on my video on YouTube, uh, but I, and you know, uh, I want you to spend time with it. I want you to yeah. complete it. I want yeah. you to take action based on it. So all of that is key to us. But also one, one other thing on this point, and that is, you know, at Notre Dame, uh, which I loved and I'm devout in the respect of having gone to school there for graduate school, you see lots of people with sweatshirts on that, that don't have a whole lot of tie to it other than their affinity. You yeah. see somebody with a Purdue sweatshirt on, they probably went there or had somebody go there. So it's a little smaller, but boy, it's tight knit. And, and they are, they just have a great affinity for the experience they had and what Purdue stands for. Well, and I, and I just love the, the connection back to Neil Armstrong and, and the next giant leap. I mean, I think that's just a beautiful platform from which to look forward, right? And it's something that's so easily understood and valued. And, and I can get behind it very, very quickly because there's just a strong visual image associated with that. And I love the mindset of, okay, things have shifted, but what can we do to capitalize and benefit from this challenging situation that we're in, but how can we make the best of it? And there's a mindset there. There's just absolutely a mindset, right? There is. Um, you know, we've studied it deeply. Uh, and I often say, you know, the student at Purdue is not the student at Pomona. So there is a segmentation. There is a psychographic segmentation, I think, for these schools. But yeah, so you know, you note Neil and 26 astronauts from Purdue that have since flown in space since then. One third of all U.S. space flights have had a Purdue grad on them. Wow. And we have the most astronauts of any non-military academy in the United States. And so we have a lineage and we have a history of putting people into space. And, that, and that's very ownable. 
Yeah. And so you want to, you want to own that and you want to own what that's about. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so we talk about not only the giant leaps, but we also talk about the small steps that help get students there. Mm. We heard some of that when we rolled that campaign out the first time it said, somebody said, Hey, for some it's great, but others, it might actually be alienating. Yeah. Because for me, I don't know that I'm capable of a giant leap. I'm, I'm more about the small step or my giant leap was just getting into Purdue. And so we've made sure that there's a spectrum there for people to find a place under a very large umbrella yeah. of the small steps and the giant leaps that are possible when you are persistent, when you are innovative, and when you are collaborative. So we wanted to do something very ownable and tell the world what we stand for in a way that's unique and compelling. Well, it's working. I, I, I <laughs> was proved Appreciate that. was proven when I was in <laughs> when I was in Denali. Uh, that was just so much fun to have that experience. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about your learning. How is it that obviously you're in a very senior level role at a very large institution? It's an executive oh. position, very, very busy family. There's a lot going on, yet there's this intense commitment to learning. How have you systematized your learning? Take listeners through what it is you do, how you consume and given that schedule, given everything you have going on, what's your tactic? Take us through a day or two of your learning in your cycle. There's a few things I think I can share. And, and some of them are, are tactics. Some of them are actually products. One thing that comes to mind right off the bat is I start my days with Readwise, the app. Okay. And the reason I love that is I get eight quick reminders of things I've highlighted, whether those were PDFs, books, articles, whatever it may be, it serves up to me eight reminders of those. And oftentimes I'm screenshotting and sharing them with a teammate, or I'm going back in and seeing the original article and reposting it to LinkedIn because it's something I want to share or something that's timely, et cetera. So Readwise is one of my favorite resources to catalog those quotations largely, those highlights largely that if I was doing manually in a book or I was writing in a notebook, et cetera, would be pretty laborious. So I start the day usually with those. Tell me a little bit more about Readwise. What is it? I've never heard of it as a resource. It's just a beautiful app that is collating the highlights, the, the e-highlights that I have importing from texts, from PDFs, from any digital book and Kindle or your iBooks, et cetera. Anything that's digital where I've highlighted it, it's cataloging those and then randomly serving those back up to me, also allowing me to favorite them as well. I could share them, I could screenshot them, I could format them for social, whatever it may be. Wow. But I'll, I'll, I'll couple that with, with one other and that's Pocket. Okay. So yes, I'm reading in Kindle. Yes, I'm reading my, my iBooks on the iPhone, et cetera. But Pocket has been my solution to instead of pre previously emailing myself articles, Yeah. now all I have to do is say, save in Pocket. It's sitting there waiting for me to read. I go back into it. I read it. I highlight what I want. And those highlights get served up into Readwise. So now I've got a catalog of everything I'm reading. Uh, uh -huh. I can tag it all. So I can go in and say, I want things on persistence, or I want things on higher education, or I want things on family. And it's going to serve up to me those articles and those highlights across everything I've read in Pocket to see those. And then my nice reminder in Readwise is being able to see those served up to me each day as a reminder and something to share. So those are the two I love. I love Readwise and I love Pocket together as a learning and sort of cataloging efficiency. Okay. So two awesome resources right there. What else? I think the other part, we talked about this a little bit on the phone call, is just there's so, I mean, it's so easy and it's so frictionless and there's just so many ways to consume now. And so having to have some frameworks or criteria to, to whittle that down some, and, and I've done that a lot through people. You think about who shapes your worldview 
And it has to do, I think, with Twitter or, or bigger than that and, that. and that being is, who do you follow? And so I'm avid about, you know, I, I want to see, um, you know, what Jim Collins has to say or Tim Ferriss has to say or Arthur Brooks has to say or Naval Ravikant has to say or Shane Parrish at the Knowledge Project. So I'm curating kind of who I'm learning from, what I'm reading based often on, on the person or what yeah. their, their service is. So Tim Ferriss's three bullet or five bullet Fridays. James Clear, James Clear's three, two, one on Thursdays. Shane Parrish's Knowledge Project on Sundays. Polina's profile on Sundays. All of these are just serving me incredible info, but I could name you off five or ten others, right? So I've had to do some of the culling just by who I respect, who I want to learn from, and who collectively is sort of shaping my learning and my worldview. Okay, and then those resources, the the James Clear or Tim Ferriss, then. Oh. Uh, you know, you sent me a book. I'm halfway through it now, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You sent me a book the other day. And so you might then be listening to Tim Ferriss, and then that might kind of turn you on to some other author or resource that then you choose to follow or not. 100%. I didn't mention podcasts, but, you know, Ferriss and Shane Parrish, uh, his knowledge project. I mean, I just, a rich role. I love their podcasts. And I guess there's two other points on that, uh, at least one. And that is at this point, I've decided that if I hear of a book I'm interested in, I buy it. Uh, I'm at that point in my life. I've got a professional development budget. And even if I didn't, the value of a 20 or $25 book is just amazing. So my wife is is probably a little tired of them piling up in our bedroom and in our <laughs> office, et cetera. But I've just made a, made a, and again, frictionless and easy. You hear of an incredible book, like the one I sent you, Boyd Vardy's uh, book here that I just go, immediately go to Amazon and order it. Yeah, And it's, um, again, a system for me to accumulate the things that I want to read from the people I hear about or, or want to learn from and uh, giving myself the, the, the green light and the privilege to say, if I heard about it and it was interesting, I'll buy it. What other resources have been helpful for you? So I'm, I'm hearing we've got some newsletters from some people you very, very much respect who then also like Knowledge Project has a, yep. a, a podcast associated with it. Tim Ferriss has the newsletter, but then also the podcast. So there's things like that. Is there any other resources that you found just incredibly beneficial from a, a learning standpoint? Um, again, I, I go back to the podcast and I don't subscribe to all of them, nor do I pay for all of them necessarily the way you could. There's so, so many. But again, going back to those personalities, Tim Ferriss, Rich Roll, Malcolm Gladwell and Revisionist History, Shane Parrish, um, you know, just being able to consume those on your time, on your schedule. And then again, having ways to remember them. And I know that doesn't sound necessarily profound, but no. it's about serving it back up to me that I find is so important. And so the man, you know, instead of manually writing it in a notebook, if I can do something on the iPhone that I can either easily access or it serves it back up for a reminder to me to learn and saturate and bring it back to front of mind and share, that's just so key these days. And so I've, I've tried to optimize, you know, who I follow on Twitter and how I, how I curate and collate that information for future use. When are you consuming the podcasts? <laughs> Sometime on walks. So I do like a morning walk with nothing. So I've, I've been walking up late with no music or podcast, just taking in the mornings. So the podcasts for me largely are in the car okay. or in the, in the evening, or if it's a longer exercise you know, period, whether it's a run or it's on the bike, if I'm not on the Peloton, I'll do podcasts that way. But mostly the car, I mean, you can just, yes, the commute is less these days, but there's still one. And if I go to Chicago or I go to Indy, you know, you can clip off quite a bit of, of a podcast or otherwise just by doing that instead of listening to, you know, Sirius or, or listening to music. So I, I pretty well on podcasts in the car. Yeah. You know, I have, I've really fallen in love with audiobooks. I, I would yeah. 
I would get into bed at night and open up a book and I'd fall asleep pretty readily and just not get through. And so I've had just this really, really kind of wonderful streak with, and it makes my my drive time feel a little more purposeful. It adds some purpose to some of my walks as well, where I'll be listening to an audiobook and just really kind of consuming it and just staying with it. And because at times it would be that I would tell myself the story, at least of, oh, my mind wanders and I don't hear it. Well, that actually happens when I'm reading too. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so using some of that time, especially drive time where it used to just be music, that's yeah. been so helpful. Yeah. The other one for me, and it's still there a bit. I mean, maybe it's not as much for people these days, but it's, it's flights too. So just, you know, long, long periods of time where I'm stationary, and I have a chance to focus. Using that somewhat productively has been really beneficial. How often is it that you're consuming something that has nothing to do with marketing, but it hits you as completely relevant? Are you experiencing that? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think one, I've given myself license to most times read or consume whatever in that moment seems interesting or valuable or additive. So it might be on parenting, it might be on happiness. It might be on our land-grant universities in the last 160 years of those nationwide. If it's, especially from someone I trust, I've given myself license to say, I'll consume. And I love, I think it's Naval Ravikant who said, basically, if you want to instill in your kids a love for reading, get them reading anything they want in the beginning, yeah. whatever they want, common books, whatever, because it's going to instill in them. He said, you know, kind of like, let them read the junk before they'll read the great stuff. And, <laughs> and I've kind of given myself a later in life license to do that. You didn't ask the question this way, but I, I think it's interesting. And you and I talked about it a little bit. The other one that I've, I've let myself on the off of the hook on is I, I think you see a lot of folks at the end of the year who will show their, their LinkedIn photo of their 40 or their 50 or their 20 or whatever books that they read. And oftentimes that means finishing stuff you don't want to finish or sticking to a book or sticking to books when there's other things you can consume. So yeah. I've kind of given myself also the green light to consume whatever it is, whether it's in pocket or it's on Twitter or it's the Atlantic or HBR or Wired or Fast Company, even in times when it's in lieu of the 20 books that are sitting to my right at the bed. So just giving myself the the green light to be a consumer, to be a learner. And to your point, not always about marketing, but the other things that that you know capture my heart and my mind. And and just modeling that for your children, modeling the fact that you're consuming, <laughs> that you're curious, that you're interested, modeling that for your team, that you are curious, you're interested, you're learning, you're humble about the fact that we can't know it all. I think just that role modeling is is really, really fun. My daughter is 12, Kate, and she started off with these they're almost like comic book books. Mm, I, there's yeah. a name for them. I'm forgetting the name of it right now. But she started off with these books where we were wondering is, is are you ever going to move to a book without a bunch of pictures and little sure. boxes and, and caricatures? But she, all of a sudden she got a passion for those books and then she got a passion for reading. And now she is crushing 300 page novels in, in series of, you know, six, seven books. She started with Harry Potter. That was the first one that really brought her in. And then now she is just voracious. We have to t ask her to turn the light off at night. <laughs> well, what a good problem to have. Yeah. I mean, but I, um, modeling that, right? I mean, I just think it's invaluable. I really do. And as a leader, modeling that, it's invaluable. Well, I, I love that idea. So with my family, so I've got a six-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. And there's two instances that I'll cite with my son 
where it has, it's not what you say, it's what you do. Mm. And so one, when I go to the basement and I get on the Peloton or I do my future workout or whatever, my son likes to come down now and he likes to get on the rower. And it's just amazing to see him model my behavior, model a healthy behavior of coming down and working out while dad does. We'll go upstairs and he'll have something to eat and he'll ask me, dad, is this healthy? Right. So it's, it's influencing that. My other favorite one, and I've got a, if you ever borrow a book after me, I, I apologize for this factor, but my son will actually get in bed next to me and he'll see me highlighting and he'll want to do the same. So I'll give him a book (laughs) and I'll give him a pen and, and he'll do his own version of highlighting because he wants to be like dad. But again, what a, what an incredible and positive signal he's giving me of dad, I'm watching what you're doing. Yeah. And I want to be like that. I know Seth Godin on Tim Ferriss talked about, he said, if you want to raise fundamentally different children, he said, spend two hours with them each night. And he said, I really focus in two areas. I focus on leadership, but he said the one, the the bigger one is just helping them solve interesting questions. And so he talks about how he and his kids cook together every night. And I just love that idea of like, just, it doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be the museum, but it is come home at 515 and be with them till they go to bed. And what is that instilling in the doing, not in just the saying? Again, modeling for them. I had mentioned we were just in Alaska. We were there for 10 days traveling, traveling the state. And there's all kinds of instances where they would look to us and say, well, well, what should we do? And we look at them and say, we don't know. We haven't been here before. What do you think? Right. Right. <laughs> and I mean, you- them helping us engaging in that problem solving in the moment or them having a part of that solution. It's real world, man. You know? <laughs> no, you're so right. I love, you know, you, you taught us many of the, the Jedi mind tricks of consulting here, but being able to say to my son, well, what do you think? <laughs> or what do you think it is? Or where do you think it is? Or how would you go about this? Yeah. And just seeing that first moment of of response and reaction of, oh, uh, I'm going to have to do the hard work and then have to do it, right? How do you get exactly. that cap off that bottle? Or how do you open that piece of mail? It's just great to build that muscle. Yep. Ethan says, as we wind down for today, would you share some resources that, that you have caught your eye? I mean, you've mentioned a number. But maybe are there a couple books that you just continue to come back to or you would want individuals who are consumers of this podcast, which is a podcast all about leadership? What are a couple resources that you would mention for people to check out? And I'm going to have a, this is probably going to be the the most resource intensive show notes I've ever developed because I'm going to try and put all of them into the show notes so people have access to the different individuals that you've highlighted, but then also some of these resources you've highlighted. When I think about books of late, Boyd Vardy's Lion Tracker's Guide to Life really comes to mind. When I think about leadership, I think I do think about Jim Collins a lot and the application of not just good to great, but the application of good to great in the social sectors, the flywheel. That's been a, a huge and wonderful monograph for me, especially as he summarizes basically all of his work in the last 20 minutes of it. And, and how do you get the momentum going and how do we get the systems and the thinking there that's so important? So I give it away a lot. In higher ed now, I'm giving away Long Life Learning a lot. I'm giving away Ocker's book on on marketing and branding, as well as his creating signature stories a lot. Mm. And I guess that leads me on the last one. I, I think no matter what you're in, you know the the transition that we've made in our industry over time. I think was it went from marketing to brand to now storytelling. And I don't care what you're in, great stories beat great spreadsheets. And so yeah. I, I think everyone building some muscle in in storytelling and storytelling that allows people to recall it and feel something and take yes. action 
yes. based on it is powerful, no matter your job, no matter your vocation, no matter where you are in life. And so I, I think the great storytellers are so worth studying and emulating and learning from and, and sharing. You know, I was, I was reminded of that. I started a presentation the other day and I haven't built this muscle the way I want to. And it was an important presentation with an important organization. But I chose to begin with a story. And, and again, it's not, it hasn't necessarily been my go-to way of starting a presentation, but the reaction I got from that, Ethan, was just so powerful. It was a lot of fun. And it was actually a lot of fun to connect to the story and then show up incredibly authentic for this audience. It, and it just hit. And, and so I couldn't agree with you more and talk about connecting, you know, marketing and branding and to leadership. I mean, you know, great leaders are also great storytellers. They yeah. are helping others envision a future or envision a path or envision an opportunity, even if they don't have all the answers, but here's the opportunity. How do we get there? I love it. I absolutely love it. I think that one's just so key. In brand, we often talk about whether it's Purdue or it's Honda or Craftsman, right? I can say a word and it saves me from having to say a thousand. Mm. And I think the same is true with storytelling when you're like, you know, tell me about that. And so I'll tell you a really quick story. We're associated with an organization here in Indiana called Little Red Door. And for now 50 years, they've been serving the underserved and the underinsured cancer patients of the state. But they have a, they have a camp and they have a camp for, for kids with cancer. And I volunteered at it a couple of years ago. And so somebody says to me, hey, I know we're, you know, we're playing golf these next couple of days and we're raising money for Camp Little Red Door. Can you tell me about the camp? I could tell them all about it and all the things they offer all the people that come and the camp counselors and the facilities, et cetera. And I always say, let me just tell you a quick story. I was serving as a camp counselor one summer and we were in charge of with the, the five to seven-year-olds of making a video. And so we had them all lined up and we said to the kids, what, what kind of video, what kind of story do you want to tell in this video that we're going to shoot? And one kid said, Hey, I want to tell a story about an astronaut. And we said, Oh, that's cool. And another story, another kid said, well, I really want to tell a story and do a video on dinosaurs. So oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. Cool. And then this little girl, six years old, bald, big scar across her head, raised her hand and in a faint voice. She said, I would really like to make a video about a kid with cancer. And we all kind of looked at each other already teary eyed in that regard and said, Ooh, you know, tell us more. Why would you like to make a, a story about a kid with cancer? Six years old, big scar on her head. She said, I'd like to make this video about a kid with cancer. And then I'd like to show it on the first day of school so I could convince my friends that cancer is not contagious. Mm. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. So, you know, get your checkbook out and come play golf with me. Cause we're going to go raise the 150 grand next summer that gets to get her to go have that camp experience and feel normal. When at six years old, she's going to kindergarten and seeing her friends and they think that she might give them her cancer. Right. Wow. So I, I go back to this idea of I, we are very focused at Purdue now. Yes, in brand and yes, in the fundamentals and the disciplines of marketing. But there's a reason why we've been so invested in stories.purdue.edu over the last two years. And that is of, of a campus of 50,000, of 600,000 alums, of 153 years of history, what binds us together and what gives us the most emotive experiences are these amazing stories. And everyone has them. And so yeah. I, really focus these days on on learning you know the great stories and and how they're comprised and and learning from the great storytellers like Steve Jobs and others but that's a place I'm really interested in, in reading a lot 
Love it. Well, sir, I know you have a kindergarten orientation to get to coming up we here. Do. Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling nervous? My How son is. <laughs> and I keep having to tell him you don't have to be, which is Our amazing. Kids. So this is another, this is another, we're, we're going to turn this into a parenting podcast. Yes. It's kind of where we are. So it's interesting in the last, I don't know, four or five months, I, I have had a couple uh, quote unquote failures. Maybe a paper wasn't accepted at a journal. Great mm. thing to model for your children. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this presentation I was mentioning a couple of moments ago, I, I did feel a little bit anxious. And a, a word we have in our household for one of those times where we're doing something new and we don't totally know how it's going to go is nervous sighted. The kids came mm. up with that word, nervous and excited, and they mm. put them together and they're feeling a little nervous sighted. So even the other night, I felt a little nervous sighted and I told the kids that, hey, it's normal. It's all good. This is part of how you know you're going somewhere new and developing and trying new things. You're going to feel nervous sighted and that's normal. And that's awesome. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a cool way that they frame that? It is. They're so good. Isn't it? Um, yes. I, I really like that. I think our son is, he's going to be nervous sighted to go to kindergarten. And <laughs> I, I think my wife rightfully is more excited than nervous to ship him <laughs> off as she should be. And he'll do great and she'll do great. And um, We're just really, really happy for him. We're, we're all at a, a really neat point in our lives. Uh, well, sir, I'm so thankful for you spending some time with me today. And I know listeners are going to love that conversation. A number of just wonderful resources to tap into. Lifelong learning. And then the phrasing you used from this book. I haven't heard of this book. I'm going to have to check it out. This book is called Long Life Learning. And it, I love the the first third in particular because it really does talk about the adult learner. It talks about the learning that we need to do from 60, or excuse me, from 22 on. Yes. And it talks about disrupting higher education because after 22, the winners will be those that provide the on and the on and the off ramps for long life learning in a frictionless fashion, the way Google or Coursera, John Carroll or Purdue hopefully will do. And it's just a fascinating to think about, you know, at 22 or 42 or 62, what do you need to know? And and where are you going to get that to your point to stay on the cutting edge and and preferably not on the chopping block? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, sir. Be well. Thank you. Thanks, Scotty. Bye-bye. Woof. For those uh, in higher ed, that last statement really, really, really hit me when we were talking about long life learning. Are we as institutions that source of long life learning? Are we that resource for individuals over the course of their life? Again, if someone has been born that will live to 150, how do we as academic institutions stay incredibly relevant in the minds of learners? I think that's an important question. I think it's a critical question. And from a leadership perspective, the practical wisdom for me in this conversation with Ethan is, as a leader, are you modeling that learning is a way of being? And are you modeling that for your team and creating an environment where we have common knowledge and common language? So, and I think Ethan said, so that there's that compounding benefit that our team can accelerate at an ever-increasing rate. Love it. Ethan, congratulations on the success you all are having at Purdue. There are so many links in the show notes, everyone. Please check them out. Those might not be the links for you. 
But what are your links? What are your resources? How are you systematizing your learning and modeling that for others and creating an environment where that can occur? Take care, everyone. Be well. Have a great day. And we'll see you soon. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.